Well, good morning. Welcome to the contemporary service. This is awesome um, to be in this space with this group of musicians and you here. Um, thank you for filling this space with God's spirit. So I think you may know this, but it is January 21st. Do you know what that means? It means it's three weeks since you may or may not have made a New Year's resolution. Let that sink in. How are you doing? Some uh, may have made new patterns, they're going in a new direction. Some may have resolutions that lasted eight hours and they're long gone. And some of you like me may not do New Year's resolutions because I kind of feel like the whole year I gotta work on stuff and so to wait one time a year would definitely not be enough. Um, but I do talk about that right now because our Bible lessons for today are talking about going in a new direction. What does that look like? What does that mean to be willing to shift and turn and do a new thing? The lessons are different in how that happens, but I think each of us continually is called by God to consider it might just be a micro adjustment that at the end of our lives will yield something fantastic. It could be a macro adjustment where you know full well that if you don't stop a thing, it will kill you, right? There's that whole spectrum of what it means to turn and go in a new direction. But I ask you today to take a moment and to center into yourself and ask yourself, what is that thing that I'm being called to give up, to take on, to release, so that I can live the full life that God intends? That's our topic today. That's what we're talking about. Um, and I know that for each of you, that's a very personal story. And I invite you into that story. And I invite you to share that with one another. When you're out of this place, when you're together in town, share with a friend, a trusted friend, what is the thing you are working on? What is the area you're turning in? So in the Gospel of Mark, we have a very dramatic turn, almost unbelievable. These fishermen are there, they're doing their occupation, family is with them, and this Jesus comes along with a two-sentence thing, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe in the good news. And somehow, that is enough. These fishermen get up, they leave everything, they follow him, and then Mark moves on with the rest of the gospel. And if we didn't have the other Gospels, or if we didn't read Mark closely enough, we would think, well, that's kind of magical. Jesus says a word, they turn, that's it. That's not how it was. They did follow, they did leave everything, but it was a journey of leaning into Jesus and pulling back from Jesus, and leaning into Jesus and pulling back from Jesus. It was life. It was this sense of we know he has the good news, we know he has the words of eternal life, but I'm not ready. Just watch Peter. Watch Peter through all the Gospels. It is a push and pull, and it's not just a circle. They actually all make progress, but please be reassured if you find yourself saying, you know, that word, that inspires me, that word that calls me to a new thing, I'm going to try a new way, and then a little bit later you find yourself pulling back and protecting or falling into old habits. You are in good company. That is the work of discipleship. And every one of you here, by virtue of your baptism, are disciples of Jesus Christ. You may not know that, you may not realize that, but by virtue of your baptism, you are disciples of Jesus Christ. And you might think, where am I in that relationship with Christ? Saying, follow me. Am I all in? 
Am I letting go of things that are encumbering me or am I too scared, too wanting things to stay the way they are? That's the invitation in Mark's lesson today. Follow me. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, believe in the good news. Jonah is another very interesting call story and very different. I like to believe that God gave us the prophecy of Jonah to, in a sense, encourage us and make us feel better. Jonah is the worst prophet who ever was. He was awful. He's called, and you guys know the story, the first time he runs away. La, 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 la. <laughs> I'm not listening. He goes and jumps on a boat. He tries to sail away. A big storm comes up. God's like, and finally, he says to the captain and the crew, okay, throw me in. This storm's because of me. And they're like, what? Okay. They throw him in. Storm stops. Swallowed by a big fish. Don't know if it's a whale. Spit up on the land three days later. Fantastic story. Such rich heritage. But God's not finished. God doesn't say, I'm going to go find somebody else. God is calling Jonah for a purpose, and he will not relent. Part two, Jonah, I want you to bring a word to Nineveh. It doesn't say what the word is, but this time Jonah sort of obeys. He goes to Nineveh, he walks the length of that great city, a very wicked city. But I think it's possible that Jonah, because he doesn't like the Ninevites, kind of forgot the good news for Nineveh. It's just, in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown, and he keeps moving. I mean, that is his hope. He hopes that that's what happens, genuinely. In his heart, he wants them to die. So he perfunctorily gives the word and goes on his way. Well, guess what? God is powerful. And God knew exactly what God wanted to do with the Ninevites. And God turned the hearts of the people, began with the people, not the king. And they heard that message and they went in a new way. They repented. They put on sackcloth. They sat in ashes. That classic old-fashioned way of humbling oneself before God in sorrow and saying, we have been wicked. So the people do this. The king kind of looks out his window and says, whoa, the people are doing that. He gets off his throne. He takes off his robes. He sits in sackcloth and ashes. So now the whole kingdom, the whole city is repenting. And then the king issues a decree that not only the people, but the animals should wear sackcloth. I mean, friends, let me just take an aside. The Bible is filled with different kinds of literature. This is a comedy in this moment. It's deadly serious what the impact is, but this image, the readers would have been cracking up. Since when do animals put sackcloth on? So I want you to imagine that all the cows, all the sheep, they've all got sackcloth on. Okay, coming back here. It's really silly, and the people would have known that. They repented of their wickedness, and then what does it say God did? God repented of the evil he intended for them, and he did not destroy them. Now, wait a minute. I thought God was like all-knowing and all-powerful and never-changing, immutable, all those Greek ideals. Guess what? In Hebrew scripture, God is not flesh and blood, but there's a sense that God gets human beings. And God, just as Nineveh repented, God repented, which just means turned. He changed his mind because of the faithfulness of the Ninevites and what the Holy Spirit had done in them remarkably. So you have two parties repenting, and then you have new life for the Ninevites. 
And I won't go into part three, but Jonah continues to be the worst prophet ever. He is mad at God for showing mercy. Um, He's super annoyed. um, And God basically teaches him a lesson that I am God and you are not. And that's kind of a good lesson for all of us to learn. And Jonah learned it the hard way. I wonder what God's call is for you today. I wonder if some of you are sitting here, and this is not an altar call physically, but it's an altar call of your heart. I wonder if you've never actually embraced the invitation of Jesus. You might have been going to church for 45 years. If that is you, God may be calling you to take a step to trust. The creed, when we talk about belief, it's not this. The creed is heart. Where do you put your trust? I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. It's not what do we think about them. Where do you put your trust? And so as you, do, as you say the creed today, I hope you will hear it in that way, not as assenting to a bunch of super complicated things, but who am I willing to follow? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So for some of you, you may never have taken that step to say a yes Some of you have said yes, you're all in, you've got traction at St. Michael, but the discipleship is a little bit narrow. And this is something we're gonna be talking about in the next few years, where in a sense, and this is a construct, this is not in the Bible per se, but there are four pillars of discipleship. There's prayer, there's learning, there's serving, and there's giving. That is a robust discipleship when all of those are active. And what happens is some of us get kind of comfy in one or two of those. Well, I like to serve, but I don't really like to go to church. Or I'm super generous with my money, but I don't go to classes. That is natural to have some preferences, but God may be calling you to expand your discipleship in such a way that those pillars that you are neglecting actually get some traction, makes you a whole robust disciple. And some of you may find St. Michael to be a perfect home. You were baptized here. You were born here. And you may have forgotten that St. Michael and the church is actually not for those who are here. It's for those who need it and have not yet been invited. Friends, we could pack out this room five times over on a Sunday if we were paying attention to the people in our lives who were brokenhearted or angry or curious and simply say, come with me, come and see. That's what Philip said, come and see. And I invite you into that awareness, that sense that, gosh, St. Michael is for me, but it's not just for me. It's for those who are not yet here. And that's the kind of thing, Bob Johnson talks, Johnston talks a lot about that, is opening our hearts to the ones who are not yet here. Last Wednesday, the women of St. Michael had one of their regular events, they're fantastic. And at the beginning of their events, they often have one of their grant recipients come and tell us their story. This Wednesday, it was very powerful. It was the men of Nehemiah. Maybe you've heard of them, maybe you haven't. Um, It is basically a recovery program for those in the throes of addiction. And there are three pillars to their recovery. Military discipline, clinical assistance, and Bible study. They spend 20 to 30 hours a week in Bible study. It is part of their recovery. 
It's part of their treatment. And they told the story. They sang a song. It was beautiful. And then a guy stood up and he gave his testimony. 20 years in the throes of addiction, homeless, no hope, and an uncle showed him firm love, didn't give him money, didn't make it easy, but said, you've got to get help or you will die. And for some reason, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, that message got in. He found the men of Nehemiah. He's been clean and sober for seven years, and he's now a senior staff member there. That's one example in our city of people who are hearing the call to new life and embracing it. And I'm so pleased that the women of St. Michael brought that group in to remind us. Our journey may be a little different. Our challenges may or may not be different. But we too are being called to go in a new direction, to try a new behavior, even if it's just a small one. My prayer is this day that you will simply, as the hymn before the gospel said, that you will open the ears of your heart and that you will perceive the word of the Lord. On the one hand, it will be full of affirmation. You are a child of God. You are loved. And on another hand, it may be if you would try this small thing, you will go on a path that bears fruit and gives life. That's my invitation for you. Hear both. Hear the affirmation, hear the love, and hear the challenge. Because we're all on a journey, not just on January 1, but the whole year long, to take small steps of discipleship. Amen.